following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. John 6, 1 through 21. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to join them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him on the boat, into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land which, to which they were going. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Addie. Good morning again, everyone. I'm excited to have the opportunity and the privilege to be able to give you um, God's word this morning. Um, Father God, I love the fact that we just sung um, Jireh, um, that we just sung over and over again the words, Lord, you are more than enough. Lord, I pray right now that even as I speak your word and we see Jesus, Lord, that you are the one striving to show us, Lord, that you are more than enough. Lord, I pray that we not only are able to sing those words, but help us to believe them more and more in our hearts. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, that I am able to just speak your truth in a way that the hearers of your word aren't just hearers, but Lord, that we become transformed, that we become moved by the power of your spirit. So, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that, that you bless me as I preach your words. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A jack of all trades. Many of you have probably heard that phrase before. If you haven't, a jack of all trades is someone who is skilled or possesses some level of skill or knowledge in many different types of work. Maybe you have someone in your life who you call on to be your jack of all trades, and you know what I mean. I mean that person who is able to 
fix your car battery, who is able to fix your water heater, who is able to beat you in chess, and who is able to sing in an a cappella group. Or it's that girl who in, in high school was the captain of the soccer team, the debate team, and the chess team. It just seemed like every time you look up, they know how to do something else. And at one point in time, being called a jack of all trades was actually a compliment. Until someone said, you are a jack of all trades, but you're a master of none. Meaning that, yes, you do have some level of skill and knowledge in many different things, but you have never become great at any one thing. And the truth is, is that there are just some things in our life where a jack of all trades just can't fix. Um, if I fall off this stage, help me God and break my leg, Josh Shelley, you are an amazing school leader, but I don't need you trying to work on my leg. If I file my taxes wrong and the IRS come calling me trying to get me in trouble, I don't need just anybody in here trying to get me out of tax trouble. I need a specialist. And the debate has always been which is better, to be a jack of all trades or to be a master of one. Well, this morning, I want to tell you about Jesus, who isn't a jack of all trades, and he isn't a master of one either. Instead, Jesus is the master of all. Jesus doesn't just possess some knowledge, but he possesses all knowledge. Jesus doesn't just come in your life and, and try to patch things back up to get them back functional. No, he can turn your mess into a masterpiece. Jesus is not the person that you call because you don't got enough money to call the professional. No, he is the one that you call first. Why? Because he is God in the flesh. And if I had to give you the main idea this morning, it would be this. Jesus is the master of all traits. And he is able to fix every problem. So what does that mean for you and me? That means that we should trust in and submit to him as God. And before we come to John this morning, it's important to know that Matthew, Mark, and Luke are written in a similar fashion. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they are written um, more so in a chronological manner. They are written from the beginning to tell the story from the beginning to the end. But John has a different way of writing. He writes last, and he tells us that I'm writing everything I put in this book. In chapter 20, he says, so that you may believe in Jesus and have everlasting life. That's why in John chapter 1, he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh, Jesus. And now as we come to chapter 6, before we really get into it, we're going to see two amazing miracles. Jesus fed 5,000 men with a can of sardines and some saltine crackers. That's a miracle. And he walked on water. But I want us to know that these miracles aren't done for us to marvel and focus so much on the miracle, but these miracles are done for us to focus and marvel at the person of Jesus. So if you don't know who Jesus is yet, let me go ahead and ruin the, the surprise for you. Ju Jesus is the one true God who can satisfy and meet every one of your needs in every way. He's the one who has the tools and power to fix them and he is the one who wants you this morning to know and believe that he is all that you need. Jesus wants you to know and believe that he is more than enough. Let me prove it to you. 
So Jesus feeding the, the 5,000 is actually one of two miracles that is recorded in all four of the gospel letters. And I love the fact that each gospel letter gives us different details of Jesus feeding the, the 5,000 to give us a, a fuller picture of what happened. See, John kind of leaves out some details. John says that Jesus went up on the mountain and, and, and a large crowd followed him because of the signs that he was doing of healing the sick. But Matthew and Mark gives us a little more detail. Matthew and Mark tells us that Jesus was actually tired. Jesus actually had a long day, and he actually left this crowd trying to get away from this crowd to, to, to get him some rest. So Jesus and his disciples get on a boat, and they leave one side of, of town, cross the lake, and instead of being greeted to a quiet resort, Jesus is greeted to 5,000 men, not including the, the women and children. Most, um, most, most scholars say that they, it's probably 10,000 people right here at the foot of this mountain calling on Jesus' name. And I don't know about you, but when I clock out of work, I don't need my manager calling me, talking about, um, can you go ahead and put that back? No, sir, I have clocked out. I need, y'all can see me tomorrow. When my child wake up in the middle of the night crying, right when I dozed off, I don't get up with this just pleasant attitude. I'm just going to go ahead and let y'all know. I'm a little frustrated. So when Jesus gets off the boat, how does he feel when he sees this large crowd? Matthew 14 actually tells us, it says that when he saw the large crowd, he felt compassion. Jesus felt compassion and he healed their sick. And this leads me to my first point this morning, that Jesus, the master of all trades, specializes in healing. He specializes in healing. So let's just say it's 10,000 people here, a large crowd chasing Jesus on foot. Let's say one of the disciples, let's say Matthew, has the latest iPhone. And he was able to record this large crowd coming to Jesus. What would we see? I can't help but wonder. I think we would probably see an, an, an elderly couple walking slowly up the hill because they have been dealing with so much pain in their body, just saying, Jesus, if you can just touch me, I'll be healed. Maybe we would see a man who heard the story of Jesus healing a blind man, and, and he said, if he can do it for him, he can do it for me. I'm sure we will probably see hundreds of people with physical sicknesses that, that we can see from the eye, but I can't help but wonder, I think that those are probably way more people there who don't have any sicknesses that we can see by the eye. I bet it's somebody there who, who says, yes, I'm, I'm physically healthy, but there's something in my heart and my mind that I'm dealing with that I don't know what to do with. Maybe some of you feel that way. Maybe you feel like, yes, I got a good nice rest, but I wake up every morning tired. Yes, I got a good report from the doctor. Yes, I have a decent job. Yes, all my bills are paid for. I shouldn't complain, but there's something in my mind and my heart that just keep weighing me down. And I want you to know that Jesus not only is able to heal our physical wounds, but he's also able to heal the unseen wounds of our heart. That maybe you are that little girl who, maybe it's the little girl in you who father left you 
left your family when you was a child. And you grew up always feeling like you're, you were unlovable because your earthly father wasn't even there for you. And even now, years later, you are married in with, with kids and you still feel like you're unlovable. How can Jesus heal you? Jesus wants you to know that he will never leave you nor forsake you. That, that, that you have a heavenly father who sees you, who says you are mine and I am yours. Or maybe it's the little boy in you who, who never felt good enough and your father was so hard on you and, and he never affirmed you and now you live your whole life chasing just to try to prove that you are worthy, prove that you are somebody. Chasing the job title, chasing the, the accomplishments, but still feeling that the emptiness of am I worthy, am I enough? Jesus can heal you too, and Jesus wants you to know that you are not loved based upon what you do or don't do, but he says, I love you, and I gave myself for you that you may have everlasting life. Or maybe you're someone who was exposed to pornography at a young age, and even now you still deal with the shame and guilt of your sexual past, and, and you feel like you're stuck in this cycle of sin. And you feel defeated, you feel guilty, you feel ashamed. How can Jesus heal you? Jesus wants you to know that in him there is no condemnation. And, and he wants you to know that nothing can separate you from his love. And he wants you to know that you are not defeated. But in Romans 8, you are more than a conqueror. And the truth is, we all have hurts from our past that, 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 that live with us. We all deal with lies from our past. And I want us all to know that Jesus specializes in healing. And the way to be healed is by doing what these people in the crowd is doing, by chasing after and running towards Jesus and believing in him and his truth. So now as we look back at verse 5, we see Jesus seeing the large crowd, and he turns to Peter, I mean Philip, and he says, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And this leads me to my second point this morning, that Jesus is not only the master who specializes in healing, but he is the master who specializes in providing. Jesus has spent the majority of the day interacting with the crowd, and, and the day is coming to an end, and, and the disciples being the wise, um, concerned, good men, they are, they like, um, Jesus, the sun about to go down, it's probably about time for you to send these people away so they can go get them something to eat, because we tired too. And, and not only do they need to get something to eat, but they need a place to stay. But Jesus said, hey, we're not going to send them away. We're going to feed them. We are going to feed them. And what does this teach us about God as our provider? This teaches us simply that he wants to provide for us. Do we see that they came to Jesus only asking them to heal him? Jesus healed them. He, he ministered to them. He did what he was asked to do. But then he says, you know what? I'm not going to send you away. I want to still be your provider. So he looks at Philip because it was Philip's hometown and says, where can we buy some bread? And Philip and the, and, and the disciples started getting frustrated. They was probably like, here go Jesus again, doing, just being extra. Can we just go? And they thinking, man, we don't have enough money. We can't afford to feed all of these people. Some of y'all wedding planning, and y'all know how, how expensive feeding just 100 folks is. Some of y'all cut, cut some of your family members from the guest list because you can afford to feed that many people. 
his disciples feeling the same thing. And, and one, said, one said something so stupid. One said, um, Jesus, it's a little boy down there. He got two little fish and five loaves of bread. I know I probably shouldn't call that stupid, but just picture how, how crazy that, that scene looks. We are about to have communion after I get through preaching, and we have two loaves of bread right here, and each person is going to get a small piece of bread. I bet y'all won't go home saying, I'm so full from communion. It's only 200 people in here, and two fish and five loaves of bread won't even be enough to feed our little kids who came down up front. So how in the world can he feed 10,000 people? Y'all know the story. Jesus said, bring me that bread. And he took the bread, which we later found out represents his body, and he gave thanks, and he broke his body, the bread, and he gave it to all. And the scripture says that everyone there who ate was full. Not only was everyone full, but he said, 12 disciples, y'all go and collect the leftovers. And every disciple came back with a basket full of bread. This teaches us that we serve a God who doesn't just meet your need, but he surpasses it. Paul said in Philippians 4 that my God, who, is, who supplies every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And Jesus is showing us that he has the power to provide and meet our every need regardless of the circumstance. And let's not miss the point of this sign. The point of this sign is not for us to, to be amazed at what he did, but the sign is for us to look at Jesus and trust in him. And I want us to see that Jesus didn't give them a five-star meal. Jesus could have said, God, will you rain down some rosemary butter lamb chops with a side of, of cream of risotto and some freshly grilled asparagus. And Lord, after they get full, can you give them some cream brulee or a cheesecake so, so they can choose? Or maybe some of my gluten people, give them some sherbet. Some, for my gluten-free people. But no, he didn't give them a five-star meal. He gave them some, some, some old scraps, some, some cheap bread and some sardines. And I want us to know that he gave them what was actually better. He gave them himself. You would think that the people wouldn't be full and satisfied off these scraps, but they was full because Jesus gave them his very self. And I want to speak to my singles in here for a second who desire to be in a relationship, who desire to have a companion and experience intimacy in that way. And even though I'm married, I am fully capable to tell you that Getting married won't satisfy your heart. As a husband who completely loves my wife, I'm able to say that my wife cannot satisfy me and be my everything. My wife cannot be perfect. She cannot be my everything. She cannot do everything I want her to do it, when I want her to do it, how I want her to do it. And every time I try to make her be that, I crush her. I begin to crush our marriage. And I'm always left disappointed. 
no nothing in this world, no relationship can fill that hole. And some of my married people here, you are probably even dissatisfied in your marriage because you are looking to your spouse to be just that. And the truth is, we were not made to satisfy each other. And Jesus is showing us here that I am the bread of life. I am the one that you need. I am your provider. I am enough. On my fifth birthday, one of my greatest memories of my dad um, um, is on my fifth birthday, he promised to take me on the boat to spend the entire day with him. And right before we left the house, we stopped by Toys R Us when it was back in business. And as a five-year-old boy, I walked in this giant toy store, and my dad said, it's your birthday. Ball out. You can get whatever you want. Anything you come back with, I'm going to buy it. Say no more. I took off running. I'm running all down the aisles. And when I finally came back to my dad waiting for me up front, I only had a Batmobile car. And my dad said, today is your birthday. Tomorrow is not. I'm, you can't come back tomorrow and get more stuff. I'm, I'm giving you this freedom to splurge and to get any and everything that you want. And I didn't have the, the emotional awareness or the emotional intelligence to say what I was really feeling. But what I was really feeling is, Dad, being with you is all that I need. Dad, I don't care about the toys in this room. I don't care about the toys. Being with you on this boat, just being with my father is enough. Not more toys in my life. And this is the battle that, that we all struggle with. We all struggle with the daily battle of believing that more toys will really satisfy me. Yes, Jesus, I believe in you, but more of this will really give me what I need. And Jesus wants us to know and not just know it, but believe that he is enough. He is enough. And we believe one time and we are justified, saved, and redeemed and adopted as God's children, and nothing can change that. That's what Scripture tells us. We believe one time. But that's not the only time we believe. We have to believe every day when we wake up that Jesus is enough. So Jesus is the master of all trades who specializes in healing and providing, and, and lastly, he specializes in everything. He specializes in everything. Look again at verse 16 with me. It says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to, to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus has, had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing, and when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But Jesus said to them, it is I. Do not be afraid. You may be wondering, where am I getting that God specializes in everything from what I just read? 
Well, to help you understand, I want to draw our attention back to verse 4, where John is the only gospel writer who gives us this detail that the Passover is near. And John is not just trying to tell us what the time of the year was, but he's trying to point us to something greater. And so if I can just refresh your memory on what the Passover was. The Passover we see in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus when, when primarily it's when God set free Israel and led them out of the bondage of Egypt. And now this Passover festival is a yearly celebration that Israel is, is to look back and remember how God set them free. But it's not only to look at when God set them free, but it's for them to look at the journey of when God set them free, they was in the wilderness until they got into the new land. And it's also around the same time when God introduced him, himself to mankind by giving us his name. Moses said, hold on, God, you're about to send me on this mission. They're going to ask me what your name is. What should I tell them? And God said, I am that I am. I am God said, it's my name. And God continued to show and prove, I am everything that you need and will need today and forevermore. As we look back on their journey, we see God not only lead them out of Egypt, but he then provides for them in the wilderness. They said, God, we hungry. He gave them fresh bread every morning. They said, God, I'm thirsty. They, he told Moses to touch a rock and outsprung the cleanest water you have ever tasted. They, their clothes, their shoes never wore out for 40 years. God was a cloud covering them, protecting them from the, from the heat during the day. And he was a pillar of fire keeping them warm at night. God protected them from their en victory over their enemies and he even made their enemies give them their silver and gold, making them rich. God says, I am all that you need. And now Jesus sent his disciples ahead in the boat, and they are sailing in the middle of the night, and complete darkness surrounds them. And now a storm has come, and the man begins fighting off the wind and the waves. And out of nowhere, they see a ghost-like figure walking in the water. And like me and you, they got scared even more. And Jesus said those very special words. He said, it is I. And you might think Jesus is just saying, hey, guys, don't be alarmed. It's just me. It's just me. Don't be scared. I'm just trying to get in the boat with you guys. That could be one take on it. But when I do a little more work and look at the original language, I see that Jesus actually said two words. He said, ego he said, excuse me, Amy Ego, which means I am. Jesus, as, as he was walking on the water in the middle of a storm, says, I am. I am the creator of the universe. I am the creator of this sea. I am. You don't have to be afraid. And the same God who said, I am in the Old Testament, who provided for your fathers, is the same God today who will and wants to pr provide for you. It is I. It is I. Three simple words. 
I don't know if y'all remember that that storm, that that night storm that happened just a couple of weeks ago at night at like 2 a.m. Maybe some of y'all slept through it. That's okay. But I was up rocking the baby at 2 a.m. and it was the biggest storm. Um, the, the, I felt like the house was shaking. Every curtain was closed, and I literally felt like lightning was coming to my house. That, that's how strong this storm was. And I said, you know what? Maybe I need to go check on my baby girl. So I walked to her room, and it was like a movie. I hate that I traumatized her this way. But as soon as I opened her door, lightning struck, like lightning came in the house. And here is this dark, big figure just standing at her doorway, and lightning just hit. And my two-year-old girl started screaming, like she, like she went panic mode, like, ah, ah, like, help me, please, help me, please. And I ran to her, like, baby, baby, I'm sorry, it's okay. And I said, Daddy got you. Daddy got you. And I just held her as she was crying, Daddy got you. But then a couple days later, she woke up in the middle of the night screaming like, like somebody broke in the house. So I ran to her room, and she said, Daddy, it's a monster. And I said, first of all, this house is covered by the blood. There ain't no monsters coming. There ain't no monsters coming up in this house. We plead the blood, amen? And then I said, too, I said again, Daddy got you. And when she ran too fast in the house and bumped her head and started crying, I usually comfort her with those same three words, Daddy got you. When she's afraid in the middle of the night, I comfort her with those three words, Daddy got you. But those three words are just so simple, but they are so powerful. Because what I'm really saying, I'm, I'm actually saying way more than Daddy got you. What I'm saying is, Karis, I love you. I will do any and everything in my power to protect you. You don't have to worry about a thing. Why? Because Daddy got you. When I comfort her and, and I say, Daddy got you, what I'm trying to get her to see is that I, you don't have to worry. I am your daddy. I'm your protector. I'm your provider. I love you more than words can comprehend. And here it is Jesus too saying it is I. And this is the good news this morning that even no matter who you are, no matter where you are, whether you are a believer, a backslider, or whatever in between, Jesus is standing right before you right now saying it is I. He's saying I am. That you don't have to worry about your kids, I'm the one who's going to protect you. You don't have to worry about your future. Your life is in my hands. You don't have to worry. All you have to do is trust in me. Um, I'm, I'm done with my sermon now. Um, but since I got five more minutes on the schedule, I'm going to tell you all a little story. This story wasn't planned. just came to me. I'm going to tell you about a little boy named Lil Johnny. Little Johnny and his mom moved to a new city, and they didn't know anyone. And Little Johnny's mom said, we're trying to start our life over, so let's just go to the local neighborhood church. It was similar to this one. They walked in there right at 9 o'clock, thinking it was time for church, but they walked into Sunday school. And Little Johnny went into his Sunday school class, and the Sunday school teacher was trying to teach the students how to memorize Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And she said, all right, kids, if you can 
memorize that this week and come back and recite it, I'm going to give you a treat. So little Johnny went home and he read Psalms 23 every night before he went to sleep, just looking for that treat that next Sunday morning. And it was time to recite it that Sunday morning. And all the kids got it except little Johnny. He was like, ah, I'm sorry. Can you just give me one more week? The Sunday school teacher said, yes, little Johnny, I'm going to give you one more week. And he went home and tried to study it again. And, and he came back that Sunday morning and he got ready to say it. And, and he just said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. And the Sunday school teacher said, it's all right, little Johnny. I'm going to give you one more week. Come back next week with it. And Johnny came back that next week, and he still was struggling, but this time he was able to say, the Lord is, the Lord is, the Lord is. And the Sunday school teacher said, Johnny, you got it. That's all you need to know, that the Lord is all that you need. The Lord is your provider. He is your healer. He is your protector. He is your way maker. He is your keeper. He is your redeemer. He is your father, and he is your friend. The Lord is. I'm sorry that I can end this sermon giving you five steps on how to be a better Christian, but the only thing I want you to do is run to Jesus and pray that we believe in him more and more, that, that he is enough. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Lord, that even the great gifts that you give us aren't for us to just, aren't for us to just idolize and cherish the gifts, but Lord, it's to point us to you who is the higher giver, who is the creator, who is the one who can satisfy and meet our every need. Lord, I pray, Lord, that for that person who has a smile on their face, but inside they are hurting, they are afraid, they are scared. Lord, I pray that you give them the courage to ask for help. I pray, Lord, that you give them the courage to just look up to you and say, Jesus, I need you. Will you heal me? And I pray that you continue to prove to us, Lord, that you are God. I ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.